All right, thank you for that good singing tonight. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 17. Genesis, as we work our way through uh, the first book of the Bible, Genesis 17. And tonight we're going to look at three brand new names. As most of you remember, uh, I'm an old history teacher from way back, but uh, so I've got to give you a little history tonight to start off with. It's the a a first battle of Bull Run in 1861. A fierce Union charge caused confusion in the Confederate ranks. And Confederate General Bernard B. Wrote, uh, rode up to General Thomas Jackson and reported, General, they're beating us back. Jackson shouted, give them the bayonet. General B. galloped back to his men and yelled, there's, there's Jackson standing like a stone wall, rally behind the Virginians. The Confederates rallied in that day. A new name was born for General Thomas Jackson, and he would be henceforth called General Stonewall Jackson. Maybe you remember reading about him in your history books. Uh, I hope uh, uh, you did. And if you ever, had the oppor ever have the opportunity to read a biography of uh, General Jackson, I would encourage you to do that too. Uh, it'll be a, a very encouraging and uh, motivating uh, biography of this man who uh, served the, the South in the war between the states. But in the Bible, it's not unusual to find very pivotal moments that marked by the giving of a new, a brand new name. And these name changes are significant and they were for the purpose of communicating a great truth about the individual or about God himself as he related to the, the individual. Here in Genesis chapter 17, we find three brand new names uh, being given. And in each, there is a message being proclaimed and a great truth being declared. The message that is being declared by these three brand new names proclaims the amazing, the astounding, and the almighty power of God. Uh, you could probably, if you do this, you write in the margin of your Bible, Genesis 17, God is a God of power. I read uh, of a great evangelist once who had three sentences, each with a verse of Scripture on his letterhead. The first sentence was, The sun stood still, Joshua 10, 13. The second one was, The iron did swim, 2 Kings 6, 6. And the third one is, This God is our God, Psalm 48, verse 14. Now here in Genesis 17, we're reminded that God is a God of power. Uh, do you believe that God is a God of power tonight? I trust you do. But let's notice here three brand new names and see how they remind us of the power of God. Notice, first of all, the revelation of God's power, the revelation of God's power. This first new name that we see in this chapter is the new name for God. We read it in chapter 17 and verse 1, and it says, And when Abram was ninety years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abram, and said unto him, I am the Almighty God, walk before me, and be thou perfect. God had revealed himself as God back in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God. That's where you find him revealed as God. Later, he revealed himself as Lord God in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 4. 
And then even later, he reveals himself as Lord in Genesis chapter 4 and verse 1. And God had revealed himself to Abraham as thy shield and thy reward in Genesis 15 and verse 1. Now, do you notice how God progressively reveals himself? Each new name he revealed himself was a new revelation of who he was and the kind of God that he was. Uh, he reveals himself here in Genesis uh, 17 and verse 1 as the Almighty God. This is the first time you find uh, that particular name for God. It's a name that has a revelation of God's power. Now, in this name, first of all, we see the ability that is declared. The ability that is declared. When God called himself the Almighty God, he was declaring his great and glorious power. That Hebrew name for Almighty God is El Shaddai. Uh, one Bible scholar calls his, this name one of the most potent and precious among divine names. The name El Shaddai occurs eight times in the Old Testament. The name El means strong one, the strong one. It sets forth God's almightiness. Shaddai means to be strong and sets forth the exhaustless bounty of his strength. And together they speak of one that is all-powerful and is able to do anything. He is able, he is able. We sing that chorus sometimes. And that's what he is saying to us here, that he is all-powerful and he's able to do anything. Theologians have a term for God's power, and it's the word omnipotent. Omnipotent, meaning that there's nothing that God cannot do. He is the Almighty God. I think of that little song that says, God, any rivers you think are uncrossable? God, any mountains you, th you can't tunnel through? God specializes in things thought impossible. He does the things no one else can do. And because He is the Almighty God, there's no person He cannot save, there's no problem that He cannot solve, and there's no prayer that He cannot answer. He is the God with an undeniable, unlimited, unmatched power. I read uh, 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 once about a nuclear plant in Alabama. It was one of the world's largest nuclear plants at that time. Uh, its fuel was uranium. And I read that there could be uh, created from just one gram of uranium energy equivalent to 20 tons of TNT. I also read that one gram is about what a small day candle weighs. That candle, if burned, could hardly warm up a, a, a cup of coffee. And yet if that one gram is converted into 100% energy, it will produce 20,000 tons of TNT or 26 point million kilowatt hours of electricity. And I want to say that if that nuclear plant had started running the day that God created the universe and had run for 24-hour days until the present, they could still not have produced a fraction of the power that God has. He has almighty power, for He is almighty God. That is the ability that here is declared. Secondly, notice an attitude that is demanded. In verse 1, God revealed Himself as the almighty God and then demanded Abraham to do what? Look at it there. In verse 1, He said, I am the almighty God. 
walk before me and be thou perfect. Walk before me and be thou perfect. God was saying, since I am Almighty God, then you should walk before me and live a life worthy of me. Someone has said, God being all of he is and me being, all, being what I am tells me that no sacrifice I can make for God is too great. God commanded Abram to walk before him. Some of you know that I'm a law enforcement chaplain for the sheriff's department here in uh, Washburn County, but uh, before I came to Wisconsin uh, recent, uh, uh, recently, we, uh, I was uh, a law enforcement chaplain for Elkhart County and uh, Sheriff's Department in uh, Elkhart, uh, Indiana. And uh, one of my responsibilities, or one of the things I did, was ride along with the county officers and um, one day we were riding along and um, the officer I was with stopped two boys riding a moped. Now, they were getting very strict about enforcing the laws concerning mopeds. Uh, the moped is kind of not quite a motorcycle and it's not, not a bicycle, it's just something in between. And uh, a lot of kids would, uh, would ride them, but they could be dangerous. And the law said that if you're riding an unregistered moped on the street, then you must be wearing a helmet and carrying some form of ID if you're under 16 years of age. Well, these two boys happened to be 14. And as the officer pulled these two boys over, they stopped in front of the, the squad car there, and they got off their moped. Well, the officer told them why he had stopped them, and he told them to call their parents. Now, that's one thing that they they could do because uh, they had their cell phones, of course. And he said, call your parents. Well, one of the boys said his mom was in jail, and his dad was, uh, but his dad was home, so he called him. And then another, uh, pretty soon a car came up from behind and began to park behind this uh, officer's squad car. And the officer, of course, motioned him to come around and, and park in front of him. And as it turned out, it was the boy's grandmother driving her Corvette. Uh, she didn't even talk to the officer. She just seemed to be giving one of the boys a good talking to, and then she got in her car and left. And soon a, another vehicle pull, pulled in behind the squad car, and the, again, the officer motioned him to come uh, uh, in front and to uh, pull in front of him. Well, this was one of the boy's father. Now, why did the, the officer keep motioning these people to come in front of him? Now, this was not a real dangerous situation. It could have been, but it wasn't. But he kept motioning these people to come and park in front of him. Why did he do that? Well, you know, all traffic stops in, in Indiana, they aren't this way here because the, uh, the cars here aren't equipped with videotapes. But all uh, traffic stops there were videotaped, and the officer didn't want anything to happen behind him that didn't get on the record. And the dad might have arrived, and he might have been angry, and he might have been looking for trouble. We don't know. But fortunately, he kept his cool and did not create a problem. But it was done for security purposes. Now, God is not afraid that we're going to cause him any trouble. But when we walk before him, we're in a place of security. We're in a place of security. It's a place of security for us because God is behind us looking over us. And many times a child will walk 
before his parents, maybe in the shopping mall or in the store, and they're happy and they're secure knowing mom and dad are right behind them. Now what happens when they lose sight of their parents? Maybe they're walking with their parents and all at once they lose sight of them, they get too far ahead, they turn around and they don't see their parents. What happens? Well, they become frightened. And uh, the result is panic. I still panic when my wife loses me in Walmart. We sometimes panic because we get too far ahead of the Lord sometimes. And we lose sight of the Lord. God told Abram to walk before, the, before him and be perfect. Now what does that mean, be perfect? Well, the word used for perfect means to be entire, to be complete, to be faultless, to be upright in conduct and blameless. You see, God's standard for us is that we be mature Christians, living a holy life, living a blameless life before the world. We're to live our lives in such a way where at no one could point a finger at our lives and they could say, uh, you wrong, you did me wrong, or you did something wrong. And if we've wronged others, we should sure clear our conscience by seeking forgiveness and making restitution, but we should live holy and, and blameless lives. We're to have a conscious void of offenses toward God and toward men. Acts chapter 24 and verse 16 says, And herein do I exercise myself to always have a conscious void of offense toward God and toward men. 1 Timothy 1.19 says, Holding faith and a good conscience, which some having put away concerning faith have made shipwreck. You see, if God is an infinite God, and He is, and then at least we can do is do as finite beings that we can do is to serve. The least we can do is serve Him and live for Him. We need to stay close to Him. We need to walk before Him and be perfect. Why should not, uh, someone not want to serve someone who is all-powerful? And so we have an ability that is declared, an attitude that is demanded, and then thirdly, we have an adoration that is deserved. Notice verse 3. We read here in verse 3, And Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, Abram fell on his face. When he came face to face with God, that is able to do anything, he fell down before him and worshipped him. He adored him. When I think of God as being an almighty God, a God who is unlimited, unconceivable, unending, undeniable in His power, I'm overwhelmed with His greatness. And I find myself wanting to get on my face at His feet and cry out, Oh, Lord God, how great Thou art. How great Thou art. The first new name we see here is a new name that God gave Himself. We also see there's a new name given to Abram. And I, uh, secondly, think with me not only of the revelation of God's power, but also, secondly, the receiving of God's power. The receiving of God's power. Notice verse 4. Here God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations. Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, but thy name shall be Abraham. Abraham, for, I, uh, for a father of many nations have I made thee. 
God had revealed himself as a God of power. And now we see a man receiving and experiencing the power in his life. Notice the story and, and the changing of Abram's name. Notice, first of all, we see a human problem, a human problem. The name Abram means high father or exalted father. Now think with me for a moment. If anybody would have had a more ridiculous name by human standards, I believe it would be, have been Abram. The high father? You talk about a name that didn't fit. Abram was it. You might say, well, he needed a name change. I think about a fellow that wanted to change his name, and he appeared before the judge, and the judge said, Mr. Bill Stinks, I hear uh, you want to change your name. And I believe I understand why. What do you want to change your name to? The man said, Joe Stinks, sir. Well, he got a name change and considered the name change from a human perspective, it was about as ridiculous as changing one's name from Bill Stinks to Joe Stinks. You see, God changed his name to Abraham, which means father of multitudes. Father of multitudes. He changed his name from high father to father of multitudes. And you talk about going from the ridiculous to the extreme from a human perspective, changing his name from high father to father of multitudes, that was extreme. Now let me share with you a little story here to illustrate to you something of the faith of this man, Abram. Suppose that one morning Abram and Sarai got up, and as they were working around the tent, then suddenly appears a group of uh, traders that come in to their little oasis created by the spring of Hebron. And Abram goes out to meet them, and they want to know if they can water their camels. And there are, were many hospitable people in that day, and it's quite interesting. You hear about the caveman way back yonder and how terrible he was. Actually, uh, that's a product of evolution. In that day, a stranger could go through the country without somebody opening his home and entertaining him. Now, if you go to a lot of cities today, and even probably come to Spooner. I don't know if anybody would take you in, although there are a lot of Christians in this area. But you know what? Our culture is different today. And I think we uh, lack a little bit of the hospitality that we see sometimes uh, in, in days gone by. There are exceptions. And I'm glad that we have some exceptions here in our church. I've seen some very hospitable people here. And I'm thankful for that. That's good. That speaks well of your uh, not only of your character, but your Christian faith. But anyway, Abram goes out to meet them, and the conversation probably sounded something like this. Sure, we'll help you, or help yourselves. I'll feed your, uh, the, your stock. Would you uh, like to stay for a while? They say, no, we're on a business trip, and we're in a hurry to get down to Egypt. One of the men might say, well, my name is Allah. The other man says, my name is Alibaba. What's, uh, what's your name? And Abram replies, well, my name is High Father. The men exclaim, my, a boy or girl? Abram says, I don't have any children. The men just laugh and they say, you mean to tell us you don't have any children and your name is Abram? How in the world can I, you be a father and not have any children? And they ride off across the desert laughing at Abram. Well, six months later, they come by again. 
And when he goes out to meet them, they all begin to laugh. Hey, hey, hello there, High Father. But he says, well, my name is not High Father anymore. It's now Father of Multitudes. The traders say, well, my, that must have, he must have had twins then, right? And then they really laugh when Abram says, no, I still don't have any children. They say, well, how ridiculous can that be? Here's a man who was a father before he had any children. Abraham was Abraham, the father of a multitude by faith at that time. For 4,000 years later, where you and I sit, we can say that God sure made this good, didn't he? The name stuck. And if you please, he is still Abraham, the father of a multitude. Now, the name here doesn't seem to fit. And what was worth, from a human perspective, it didn't look like it would ever fit. You look there again in chapter 17, verse 1. What do you read? And when Abram was 90 years old and 9, 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him. Abraham was 99 years old. Someone has said that at this time, Abraham was the president of the H-A-R-P. That's the Hebrew Association of Retired People. And add on top of that, Sarai, she was no spring chicken either. She was 90 years old. You could say both Abraham and Sarai, uh, their get up and go had already got up and went. The possibility of them having children was slim to none. I heard about a 450-pound lady who got up in church and sang, He lifted me. And as soon as she was finished, the choir director came right behind her and said, Let's all stand and sing, It Took a Miracle. I'm sorry. Well, for them to have children would be nothing short of a miracle. Now, there was a human problem, right? But also, see, secondly, there was a heavenly power. A heavenly power. From a human perspective, it seems impossible, highly improbable, that Abraham or Sarah would ever have children. But God had just revealed Himself as what? The God who could do anything. He just told Abraham, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. That gives us a, certainly a different perspective, does it not? One preacher was preaching on the story of Jonah and the whale. When he got home, his son said, Daddy, did you really mean what you preached? Do you really believe that? And Daddy, do you believe that a fish could swallow a man and keep him alive for three days and three nights? Well, the preacher sat his son down and said, uh, Well, now, son, let me ask you a question. If God could make a man to begin with out of absolutely nothing, and if God could make a fish to begin with to begin with, out of absolutely nothing, don't you believe that God could make a fish that would keep a man alive for three days and three nights? The little fellow said, well, if you're going to bring God into it, that's different. You see, we do bring God into it. And that's what we find here in Abraham's life. When you bring the Almighty God into the situation, what seems impossible, now it becomes possible. Notice the changing of his name, Abram, to Abraham. Someone has said that Abram started tithing and God had added the ham. Uh, I don't know if that's the way it went, but there is more to it than that. 
Uh, when you uh, look at the change you see, there's only a change of two letters in the English language. We just change, we just add H-A in there. But in the Hebrew alphabet, there was only a one-letter change. And what was added was the fifth letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and there's only one letter change, but that one letter makes a significant change. When God changed His name, He was adding the sound of a breath. Now you say, what is significant about that? Well, the significance is that in the ancient languages, the words breath and spirit are the same. The word breath and spirit are the same. When God changed Abram's name to Abraham, He was adding the sound of a breath to his name, or more correctly, he was adding his mighty, his mighty breath or his spirit to his name. Again, let me illustrate what I'm talking about by taking you back to your school days. Again, I'm going to use my uh, teacher uh, experience here, but I want you to think about your school days. I know some of you'd like to forget them, and you've, uh, many of you have forgotten much of what you, you learned. But do you remember studying and I sure, I'm sure you all did, study Einstein's equation. Maybe you can give it to me, someone, anyone. E equals mc squared. Sure, I knew you studied it. I knew you did. Well, E represents energy in, in ergs or mass grams, and the c squared is the velocity of light squared. And if you leave out the c squared, you get one erg that equals one gram, and one erg less than the energy required for a mosquito to become airborne. But if you add the c squared, you get one gram that adds 90 quintillion ergs to energy. And what I'm saying is the c squared was added to Abram's name. Abram did not have any power in himself to become the father of multitudes, much less the father of many. For him, that was humanly impossible. For, but for the Almighty God, nothing is impossible. Nothing. And so Abraham becomes, or Abram becomes Abraham, a man who had received and experienced the power in his life. And so here's the difference between fruitfulness and fruitlessness. It's not human ability, but it's divine power that makes the difference. Abraham was already, had learned the folly of doing things in his own flesh. Remember, Abraham tried to do things in his own flesh, and he, he messed up every time he did. Now he's learning how to do things by God's Spirit. We're a generation that relies largely on what the flesh can do. We pump and we whine and we push and we pull to get things done and still we're fruitless. And the secret of fruitfulness is doing things by God's Spirit and by God's power upon us. Ishmael was a result of the flesh. Isaac was a result of God's power. And here's something we need to learn. God's power in us, on us, by us, through us is the secret of doing the impossible and seeing the impossible. You may be an Abram, but if God ever adds His power, you'll be an Abraham. I think uh, there's a song in our books that says, Praise the Lord who reigns above and keeps His court below. 
Praise the holy God of love and all His greatness show. Praise Him for His noble deeds. Praise Him for His matchless power. Him from whom all good proceeds, let earth and heaven adore. And so we also see not only that God gives Himself a new name, and He changes the name of Abram, but He also changed Sarai's name as well. Notice thirdly, the realization, the realization of God's power. There's a third new name we see in Genesis chapter 17, and it's that of Sarai's. We read in verse 15, it says, And God said unto Abraham, As for Sarai thy wife, thou shalt not call her Sarai, but Sarah shall her name be. And so in changing the name of Sarah, first of all, we see a personal experience of God's power. We're not absolutely sure what the name Sarai means commonly believe that it means to persist or persevere or to be contentious. But we do not know, or what we do know, I'm sorry, uh, we do know that what Sarah means. Sarah means princess. And the changing of her name was an indication that she would become the mother of kings. And so it was only right that she should be called princess. Sarah no longer had to contend with Hagar. God would give her a child of her own and she would be a princess of many many nations and many people. And it was Sarah that would be the one in which the almighty power of God would be experienced. Her dead body would live on by the power of God. She would personally experience the, the power of God. And I believe each believer can experience God's power in his or her life as well. I believe God wants to make himself known to each one of us here tonight. Many believers are spiritual paupers when it comes to a spirit, uh, when they could be spiritual princesses. So we see a personal experience of God's power. We also see, secondly, a personal example of God's power. She would not only experience God's power, but she would serve through hi- throughout history as an example of what God could do. You know, the Jewish people as well as every Christian can point back to her and say, that's what God can do. That's what God can do. What, it is, what is it in your life and about your life that is a testimony tonight of the power of God? Can you think of what it is in your life that is a testimony to the power of God? What is there in our church here that is a demonstration of the almighty power of God? Now, as you look at the rest of this chapter Uh, We see that old Abraham just laughed. Some say that this was not a laughter of unbelief, but the laughter of sheer joy that this could happen. It does seem that Abraham seems to doubt what God was saying. Even those of great faith many times have their moments of doubt. And yet as we look at what Paul said about it in Romans chapter 4, he sheds some light on what is said here. I'm going to read for you Romans chapter 4, just a few verses here as we conclude. It says in verse 17 of Romans 4, As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations. Before him whom he believed, even God, who quickened the dead, and calleth those things which be not as though they were, who against hope believed in hope, that he might become the father of many nations, according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, He considered not his own body now dead 
when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. And therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. According to that testimony, we know that Abraham believed God and that he was absolutely overwhelmed with wonder and the, uh, about the goodness of God. How about you tonight? Are you absolutely overwhelmed by the power and the wonder and the goodness of God? Do you really have faith in what God says He will do in your life? I trust that we'll be encouraged by what God did in the lives of Abraham and Sarah and how He used them for His glory. May we have a faith just like Abraham. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you tonight for the examples that you've given us of these three new names. How you revealed your power. How you revealed yourselves as an almighty God. You had the ability, uh, the attitude, and the adoration. Uh, you, we see the receiving of that power by Abraham. He had a human problem, but uh, uh, there was a heavenly power that came and uh, worked in his life. And then we see the realization of your power and the personal experience of your power in the life of Sarah and the personal example of God's power in her life as well. We thank you, Lord, for this, uh, this lesson that we have from, from Genesis chapter 17. And may we go from here tonight willing to put our faith and our trust in you and follow you each and every day. Lord, I pray that you'll uh, use your great and mighty power in and through our lives and may Jesus be glorified in the lives of, uh, of the people of this church as we go from here to be a witness, to be a testimony to the people around us. Uh, we, we pray for our families, our, our families and our extended families. We have children and grandchildren and uncles and aunts and other people who need the Lord. And we pray, Lord, that you'll empower us to be that testimony that we need to be to them and that we'll see your power working in their lives and bringing them to yourself. We pray, Lord, for our missionary families as well as they uh, continue their work around the world in various places. And we thank you, Lord, that they can represent us here uh, uh, from Spooner Baptist. We pray, Lord, that you'll bless them and empower them with... Uh, 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 your power to, and your ability to bring the lost to, to Christ. And so, Lord, we just pray your blessing uh, tonight upon each one uh, here. Uh, meet the needs of our hearts, we pray. Help us to be faithful uh, and follow you each and every day, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.